Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, some have called this the gem of the scripture. It's the chapter that has so much in it, and uh, it's true, it is a great gem in the scripture. But we're going to read that entire chapter this morning. I hope you'll read along with me in your Bible. It's very it's sort of lengthy, but it's an, an enjoyable read as we see what God says. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, the, then that they that are in the, in, faith, in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we, we, ye shall die. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the, sons, that we are the children of God. And of children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath perfected, who hath subjected the same in, in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what did, what, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit itself help. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know that we, that we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, 
to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of this wonderful passage of Scripture. Give us understanding as we look into it today, and help we as Christians to glean what we need to to convince us once again how much we have in Jesus Christ. If there's somebody here today who is not saved, may they trust Jesus as their personal Savior before it's too late. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of Paul's favorite concepts in his writings is the concept of us being in Christ. The Bible tells us often, much and many times through Paul's writings, that we are in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So in Christ, there is newness. And so what I want us to do today is to look through chapter 8 and find some of the new things that we have in Christ. If you're in Christ, and if you're saved, you are in Christ, in Christ we have new things. It's great to have new things. It's great to be new. And the Lord says in Christ we are new and we have new things. The first thing we see is we have a new verdict. You see, what we deserve is to be condemned by God. In fact, that condemnation has already been passed. The Bible says in in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. In other words, we're heading to perishing, but he didn't come, he came so that we wouldn't perish. The next verse says, For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. But that that the world might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So everybody out there that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, whether you're here in this auditorium or outside these walls, whoever it might be that does not accept Jesus as their personal Savior, the Bible says you're already condemned. The verdict is, is given. You are condemned. So if you die, you don't have to go out into eternity and face God and wonder what he's going to do with you. The Bible says if you die without Christ, immediately you go to hell. You're already condemned. But when we trust Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says we have no condemnation. (laughs) The verdict is changed. Only God can do that. Only God can change the verdict. And we have a brand new verdict, and that is we are not condemned. 
It's interesting how the Lord states that in verse 1. He says, there, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, what's he have the word therefore? Well, it's because he's referring to things that have happened that he's talked about before. Because we have been declared righteous, that's justified. Because we have the righteousness of God applied to our account. Because we are dead to sin, dead into the law, and alive unto God. And we are, are his, are his uh, we belong to him, and we have eternal life. If, since all those things are true, therefore it means we're not condemned. I mean, how can God condemn somebody that he's declared righteous? How can God condemn somebody that he has, has given them his righteousness? How can God condemn somebody who has eternal life? So we are not condemned. Therefore, he says, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So the first new thing we have is a new verdict. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you need that new verdict. Because the judge has already come down with your verdict. It's condemned. But if you'll trust Jesus, he'll take away that condemnation and give you a new verdict, and he'll say, not condemned. Now, the next thing we have is new, is new life. Look at verse 6. He says in verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So when we're dwelt, dwelt by the Spirit of God, we have, we're spiritually minded and we have life. The Bible says in verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, that we are, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. And then he says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So every Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling in him. And so if we have the Spirit of God living in, in us, he is life. And so we have life. And when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you're passed from death unto life. So the new thing that we have is we have life before we were dead in, in sins, but now we are alive in Christ, and we have new life in Him. Look what it says in verse, verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so we have new life, new life in Christ. Now that new life is now, but also Everyone continue. Look at verse 11. For the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and he does. He's alive. We're alive. He lives in us, so we have new life. He says, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And Christ, God living in us through the person of the Holy Spirit gives us life. But it also promises us that our body will be uh, quickened and made alive and be, have a glorified body. You see, right now, we have new life inside of us. But all of you know for sure, if you very, very live very long, you find this out, that your body deteriorates. As, as you know, you get past uh, young, young years and you get into middle age and then you go past that, you realize your body starts to deteriorate. You are alive, but your body is dying. But the Lord says, I'm going to change that. Because you have new life in you, the same Spirit of God that lives in you is the one who's going to quicken your mortal bodies. And so the Bible tells us that we have a promise of a brand new body. This body is going to be made alive, changed, so that it's a brand new body, glorified body that will live forever and ever. In 2 Corinthians, you remember Paul said, Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. 
That inward man is that life we have in Christ. God dwells in us. We are alive. And the outward man perishes. But this passage says the day will come. That outward man will be made alive, quickened, and will have a brand new body to live forever in eternity with. We went to Bible camp this past two weeks. And uh, as one of the, well, I'm now the oldest pastor there. (laughs) Brother Camp showed up one day and Brother Calvin showed up one day. They're older than me, but the ones who stayed, I was the oldest, oldest pastor there. And I noticed as I'm looking around, everybody's getting older except me. And uh, they seem to be, <laughs> but because I couldn't see myself, you know, I was looking at them. But uh, I realized they're, they're getting older. And then I step in there and look in the, in the restroom, look in the mirror, and, and find out the same thing is happening to me. I'm not as young as I feel. <laughs> I'm not as young as I think I am. I'm getting older as well. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And the Lord says this day will come, this outward man will be made alive. And so in Christ, we have something new. We have new life. We also have something else, and that is we have a new family. Look look in verse 14. We have a new family. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you're led by the Spirit of God. I mean, there's no two ways about it. You are led by the Spirit of God if you're a Christian, because He lives inside of you. Now, sometimes you might not submit to Him, but He's leading you to do what's right. He's leading you to, to, to please Him. He's prompting you to do what is right. And so the Spirit of God lives in us, and He, and he leads us. And the Lord says in, in verse... Uh, 14 again, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Sons of God. We have a new family because we trusted Jesus as our Savior, because He saved us and declared us righteous and gave us His righteousness and all of that that's associated with salvation. We have a new family, and we have been adopted by God and into His family. And so those who were children of the devil are now children of God. We're sons of God. It goes on to say that we're, that we're, if you be sons of God, then you're joint heirs with Christ. And notice verse 15, though, I want to point that out. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted by the Lord. Now, I have, I have a son who has three adopted children. And those adopted children, they're their children. They now have the name of McGuffey and all of that. But something that's not true of adoption here on this earth is true of adoption when God adopts you. And that is, they might have the McGuffey name, but uh, they don't have McGuffey blood (laughs) because they've been adopted. Now, it makes no difference whatsoever. They're just as precious as those who who are uh, by natural birth. They're just as precious to us. We count all of them. That is, we never say we have so many natural, you know, a biological, I never say that. We have 22 grandkids, and because they're all very special. But you know, a, a physical adoption down here doesn't give you the nature of the person who adopted you. It doesn't give you their bloodline, any of that. It doesn't give you any of their DNA or any of that. But when you trust Jesus as your Savior, he adopts you into his family. And the word adoption means he places you as an adult son. I mean, you might be newly saved, and God's adopted you into a family. You're a new Christian. 
You're a newborn Christian. You need to grow. But as far as, as rights are concerned, you have been adopted and placed in his family as an adult son with all the accompanying rights. And so you have everything when you trust Jesus as your Savior. And so he says he's adopted us into his family. And then, and then he says in verse 17, And if children, if you're sons, if you're children, then you're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, you can't beat that. Heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I've often said it like this. I know I was preaching in, in the West Virginia. I would say, if you would walk out on one of these mountains, and a lot of mountains in West Virginia, and uh, we drove through there again, this, you know, going to camp. And West Virginia is a beautiful state, and a lot of mountains. But if you walk out on one of these mountains, say you get to the highest point in West Virginia, or maybe you're out west and you're on a higher mountain than that, you could stand up there, and if you had an unsaved friend next to you, you could say, I want to tell you something you probably don't know about me. And they said, what's that? You say, see all that land? See everything that you can see as far as your eye can go. Now, you didn't know this beforehand, but I'm going to tell you something. It all belongs to me. You know, that's true of us. It all belongs to us. Why? Because we're joint heirs with Christ. Who owns everything anyway? God does. Jesus does. And we're joint heirs with Christ. Everything that is his is ours. And so that someday we're going to enjoy it. But when the Lord restores this earth and takes away the curse and we're going to be, live with him for a thousand years during the millennial king, kingdom and rule and reign with him on this earth and we'll get to enjoy what's ours. And that is the whole, whole universe. It's ours because we belong to Jesus. We're joint heirs with Christ. So we have a brand new family when we trust the Lord as our Savior. And then verse 16 says, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, that's something the Spirit of God does with us that is very encouraging. And that is when you're going through a rough time and say, maybe sometimes you don't feel too blessed. Sometimes you can't, you just don't think about all the blessings you have and you're going through a rough time and the Spirit of God who lives inside us bears witness with us, look, it's going to be okay because you belong to the Lord. You belong to Him. And the Spirit of God that lives in, in us bears witness with us that we are his child. And he convinces us of that. That's one of his ministries, living inside of us, convincing us that we are a child of God. And that's very important when you're going through bad times, is to know that you're a part of God's family. So we have, we have a new family. Another thing we have is we are, have a new future. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, everybody goes through those. We all have sufferings. We all have hardships. We all have times when we're disappointed. And uh, there are things you go through that are not easy. We all go through that. But the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And I think that's a reference really to the fact that we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have a body like him. And so when we get to heaven, the glory that we're going to experience, we look back, if the Lord allows us to look back on earth and think about those things, we'll think that's nothing. All those problems I went through, those times I cried, those times I wondered if it was going to turn out, it was nothing because it's all turned out great. I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven with the Lord. And so it's, he says, it's not going to, 
even, even worthy to compare those bad times with what's coming, the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have a new future. We will be manifested. Look at verse 19. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creature, and that's really the word creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creation out here waits for the time that, the manifest, that we will be manifested for who we are. See, the world doesn't recognize who you are. They see you out in the crowd. Maybe they talk to you. They don't realize that they're talking to royalty. They don't realize they're talking to a child of God, and they are not. They don't realize who we really are, but we know we're special. And I don't say that in a prideful way because we owe it all to the Lord, but we are special. We are saved by the Lord's grace. We're indwelt by his Holy Spirit. He's given us his righteousness. We're accounted, we're accepted and beloved. We are declared righteous. All the things that go with being saved, we're set apart unto the Lord. And all of that, we belong to him. We're special. And the world doesn't recognize that, but the day will come when they will. The day will come, it'll be revealed who we really are, and that is we're the sons of God. And the Bible says the creation waits for that time. The creation around us, it's not alive like human beings are alive, but it is alive. And the Bible says creation groans, and it does. Creation groans. Let's think of the animal creation. They groan. I mean, most of them are watching out for something, some, another of them, another one of them that might destroy them. You know, the fish are darting around so the bigger fish doesn't eat them. Animals in the forest are hiding so that somebody, something doesn't eat them. The little rabbits, they try to get cover so the fox doesn't eat them or the coyote doesn't eat them. And it's, uh, nature is, is suffering from the curse. Before the curse, that was not true. They did not eat each other. All animals were vegetarians. Can you hardly, it's hard to imagine that, but that was true. And so all creation groans. You know, you probably, if you've been gone a few days and you come back to your garden, you've got to go out there and pull weeds or hoe the weeds. You've got to do something to fight those weeds so you can have a good crop. And we, the creation groans because it's waiting for the time the Lord's going to lift that curse. When's he going to lift that curse? At the millennial reign of Christ. And we will be revealed for who we really are, and that is sons of God. In fact, the Lord's going to destroy everyone at the end of the tribulation period that doesn't know him as Savior. And the only ones that will be left will be the children of God. And we who know the Lord as Savior before that time, of course, we're going to be in glorified bodies. If we're alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture, we'll be in glorified bodies. And everybody on the, on the, uh, the earth that has had the curse lifted during the millennial reign of Christ are going to recognize who we are. We're special. We're sons of God, joint heirs with Christ, and it's going to be a wonderful time. So the future is new, a wonderful future ahead of us. Now, let's look at the next new thing, verse number 26, and that is we have a new intercessor, a new intercessor. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but, but the Spirit himself beareth witness, with, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, what does that mean? Remember, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. The Spirit of God knows you because he is God. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you need. 
He knows the will of God when you don't know the will of God. Have you ever been to those, through those times when you didn't know what to pray for? And all you could say is, God, help me. God, help me. Lord, I don't know what's best. I don't know what I should do. Please help me. I read an illustration of, that, of this in the, Dr. McLean's commentary, and he said this, the great St. Augustine had been a very wicked man in his youth, but he was later converted. Augustine was greatly loved by his mother, Monica, who was a Christian, had a heavy burden on her heart for her son, who was not yet saved. She learned that he was leaving home to go to Italy, and so she prayed that God would not let him go because she feared he would get into worse trouble and worse sin than he was at home. And that was her special request, but God did not answer that way. Augustine went to Italy, and Italy... He, was, he trusted Jesus as his Savior. He was converted. His mother did not know how to pray as she ought, so God did not answer her special request in order that he might answer her lifelong request. You see, God knows what we need when we don't know. And sometimes we'll pray for something, and it's not what, we, what, what is best for us, and God knows that. The Spirit of God lives in us, and he knows that. And so he prays to the Father. He intercedes for us for what we really know, need. And sometimes we get so disappointed that we didn't get what we wanted. And we fail to realize that maybe the Holy Spirit who lives in us and knows what we need told God the Father, now this is what he really needs. You see, God the Father uh, sees to us that the Holy Spirit lives in his children, so he... he uh, feels for them, he knows what they're going through, he's right there with them all the time, and uh, so he intercedes with the Father. I don't understand that, all that, but that's what this says. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, when we are in Christ, we have a new intercessor, and that's the Holy Spirit. And then there's something else that we have. We have new confidence. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he, whom he predestinated, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. Now we notice in, in verse 28, it starts off with God's purpose. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You see, when God saved you, he had a purpose for you. He had a purpose. And he's going to fulfill that purpose some way. And so he says he not only had a purpose for you, but he foreknew you. He knows all about you. And he knows when you trusted Jesus. He knows, knew before you trusted Jesus who it was that would take you to the gospel. God knows all those things. And then he predestinated something for you. And what was that he predestinated? He predestinated that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus. He predestinated that you would be like Jesus someday. And that means you would have a, have a wonderful body like him. You'd be sinless. You'd be glorified. But until that time comes, that final glorification, uh, right now he wants to make you more and more like Jesus. And God has determined beforehand, he's predestined that that would be true of you. Whom he predestined, then he also called. Whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. So if you've been justified, the Bible says you're saved, declared righteous, guess what else is already determined? 
And that is you're going to be glorified. So it's like this. If it starts off, you trust in Christ as your Savior, and it ends up you being glorified, and nothing can change that. You're not going to mess up along the way, and God says, all right, you messed up. I'm going to take your glorification away. I'm never going to make you like me. I'm never going to make you like Jesus. God doesn't say that. He said, if you've justified, you will be glorified. And so that, since that's true, since it's going to turn out right, then all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? To make us like Jesus. And so we have a new confidence. And that's why you can face troubles and not worry about it so much because even though it's something you don't like, you're not enjoying, you know this, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We had that illustrated this morning in the Sunday school lesson about Joseph, how that Joseph was sold off into slavery by his brothers, you know, and then he ended up in prison and all this happened to him. But then he ended up as second ruler in the land of Egypt, and uh, he ended up being the one who, who, would spare, uh, who would save the lives of millions of people because he saved them from famine, and he saved his own family from famine, and uh, God meant all those bad things to happen to him for good. And so when his brothers were all upset, that they realized, oh, this is Joseph. He's the one we sold. What's he going to do to us? J- Joseph said, uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And isn't that a blessing? When you go through tri- tri- times of trial, and maybe somebody does something to you that's not right, and you hurt because of it, you can still say, God, I trust you. You work this out together for good. And it might very well be that you need that trial to make you what God wants you to be. God work things out together for good. So we have a new confidence. You can trust the Lord. God has a purpose for all things, and he does not make a mistake. And then, finally, we have something else, and that is we have new answers. I find it interesting in this passage that the Lord asks some questions. Notice what, what they are. We have new answers, new answers to questions. And here are the questions. First of all, verse 31. He says, what shall we then say to these things? If God can, is for us, who can be against us? What can we then say to these things? You know, we go through a lot of things in our life, but what can we then say? What can you then say to these things that God's just taught you? How that all these things are new in your life and it's all going to turn out right. What do you then say to these things? And the answer is, if God's for us, who can be against us? I mean, if God's for us, and he is. I mean, you're in Christ. You'll never get out of Christ. You are in Christ. And God is for you. He's not against you. I've said it many times. When you trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you, li- if you were saved, say, 20 years old, and you lived to be 100, there's no time in that 80 years where you could say, God was against me. Never. If you're going through something right now and you wonder, why is God letting this happen? I might not be able to tell you why, but I can tell you this. God is not against you. He's for you. So if God be for us, and there's nobody greater than him, if God be for us, who can be against us? What can we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then another question. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Let's take the devil. Is the devil going to be able to come before God and say, Hey, Lord, you shouldn't let him into heaven because I know something he did. In fact, he did this after he got saved. And you can't let him into heaven because he did that. And the question is, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And verse 33, it says, it is God that justifieth. I mean, who's the judge? Jesus is. He's the one that's made the declaration, you are righteous. And somebody comes in and says, I disagree. God says, it doesn't matter what you disagree with. You bring up some sin, I have the answer. I paid for it. But Lord, he did this. He told this lie, or he did this and this. And, and, and the Lord would say, uh, I paid for it. It's all paid for. On the cross of Calvary, it's all paid for. So who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Nobody can because God is just, justifies us. He's declared us to be righteous. And then there's another question. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Well, the answer to that is there's only one person who has the right to judge. And John chapter 5, verse 22 says, God hath committed all judgment unto the Son. If you ever see a judgment seat, whether it's a judgment seat of who? Christ. It's the great white throne. Guess who's sitting on the great white throne? Christ. And so judgment is all committed unto the Son. If you stand before God, you'll stand before Jesus. And we will stand before God. We will stand before Jesus. He's the judge. So the question is, who is he that condemneth? There's only one person that can, can condemn. And what's he said of the Christian? No condemnation. No condemnation. Who is he that condemneth? Only Christ has the right to condemn. And he says, I will not condemn you. He says, I came so that you could have life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's a promise. You believe on Jesus Christ, you trust him as your savior, you will not perish and you will not be condemned. No condemnation to the child of God. And so it's a wonderful blessing. He died for us, he rose again, and he will not condemn us. He intercedes for us. And so the one who could, could, could condemn us is the one who intercedes for us. And so somebody comes with an accusation, guess who our lawyer is? Jesus. Nobody can argue against him. And so nobody can condemn, condemn us because the only one that even has the right to condemn is for us. He's not against us. And then the final question is this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verses 38 and 39. I love these verses. I'm sure many of you have them memorized. If you do, just quote them with me. For I am, I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's he say? What shall separate us, or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the Lord goes through any possibilities. He says, I am persuaded that neither death, death can't separate us, nor life, life can't separate us, nor angels, all the good angels, they can't separate us from God. The principalities and powers, probably speaking of evil angels, 
They can't separate us from God. Things present, nothing that is here, present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. It's like he's searching the universe for anything that could separate us from the love of God. And then in case anything is mentioned, he says, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we have new answers, answers to the questions. What should we then say to these things? If God be for us, who against us? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Nobody can. Who is he that condemneth? Nobody can condemn because the judge will not condemn. Who, what can separate us or who can separate us from the love of Christ? There's nothing. And so Romans 8 can be summarized in these things. We have new things in Christ Jesus. We have a new verdict. We have a new life. We have a new family. We have a new future. We have a new intercessor. We have a new confidence. And we have new answers. Isn't it interesting that chapter 8, verse 1, says no condemnation. Chapter 8, verse 39, says no separation. No condemnation, no separation. Also, verse 1 says, how is this possible? Well, verse, verse 1 says, there is, there, now, there is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. And notice verse 39. Verse 39 says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, that's the best security you can have. You're totally secure in Christ. Now the question this morning is, is everyone here in Christ? Are you sure you're in Christ? If you're not, you're in big trouble. Because if you were to die like that, you'd be separated from God for eternity, and there would never be any way to change that. But right now, if you're not in Christ, you can change that. And it's by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of these new things. What a great chapter this chapter is. And I pray that we might be confident because if God be for us, who can be against us? If someone is not saved today, I pray that today would be the day where they trust Jesus as their personal Savior, we ask in his name.